Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Let us pray. Holy Creator God, as we share this reflection time together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. And may your people find the right word to bring light into their living today. Amen. Uh, I asked my daughter as I was writing this, so what do you think about blessing? She said, I think family is a blessing. And every animal is a blessing. Every animal, every single one, even the annoying little wasps. But she said, I think the biggest blessing in the entire universe is peace of mind. Peace of mind. It's my 17-year-old daughter. (laughs) So with that, I'm going to call you to one moment for a question of the day. So you can talk to a neighbor, you can meditate on this question yourself, but who or what is a blessing to you and how? One minute, go. Okay, folks, I think that's just about a minute. Thank you. I hope the conversations were themselves a form of blessing for each of you. So often, talking about the Beatitudes leads to identifying with the meek or the peacemakers or those who mourn. In fact, I'm quite sure one could spend an entire lifetime quite literally, contemplating on the history, meaning, and purpose of just one line in this gospel passage that we call the Beatitudes. For example, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall know God. What does it mean to be a peacemaker? Why are the peacemakers the ones granted with knowing God? And what does it mean to know God? And when shall they know God? And so on. Today, 
I chose to focus instead on the very idea of being blessed, blessed itself. It's the preface to each of the statements in the Beatitudes. And it was this word, blessed, that kept surfacing in my mind this week. I recalled, and I think this is part of why it was on my mind, that our colleague and friend, the retired Reverend John Griffith, uh, who I led, uh, co-facilitated a series in the Spiritual Nurture Ministry Group here with last fall on pilgrimage. In one of our meetings when we were planning that series, John Griffith spoke quite passionately about how he feels about blessing. And he said, blessing is a very deep word. It's not the same as happiness. Happiness has to do with happenstance. Something happens and it's nice. But no, to bless someone is to encourage them in a way that gives them energy, that gives them strength to move through difficult times. In fact, blessing in one form or another is extremely important in biblical scripture. The word occurs 327 times in the Hebrew Bible alone. 76 times in Genesis, 76 times in the Psalms. And the the adjective blessed, as we find it in Matthew, occurs 50 times in the New Testament. In the Hebrew Bible, we recognize that God is the ultimate source of blessing. And at the heart of God's blessing is the awareness of God's presence with those who are blessed. Being blessed here pronounces an individual as having received divine approval. It suggests that though the present situation may be difficult, the future will bring consolation and reward. This knowledge allows the blessed one to face the present with courage and with hope. So when Jesus says, blessed, blessed are those who mourn, It recognizes that these aren't happy people, but they are blessed with the ability to access the inner strength, to find comfort and energy and face the reality of loss and live through it. Interestingly, the groups that Jesus' statements of blessing describe are not those in positions of power or prestige, not those who the conventions of that time would expect to be blessed. No. These are the meek, the mourning, the merciful, the persecuted. Ordinary people and very often marginalized people, Jesus's kind of people. As one of the people in our worship planning team said this week, This is Jesus, of course, in his upside-down kingdom, saying that everyone belongs. In Jesus' submersive ministry of justice, no condition excludes blessedness. These aren't aren't being, the people aren't described in material terms, and the gifts that they receive aren't material rewards. This is a spiritual blessedness. I think this points to a deeper truth that at our core, each one of us is blessed. Everyone is already blessed. Underneath 
the mental Ferris wheel and the emotional roller coaster and the physical treadmill many of us place ourselves on day after day after day. Each one of us is inherently good, inherently peaceful. In fact, I read this week that the eight Beatitudes, there's eight statements that are considered the Beatitudes, have been compared to the eight limbs of yoga or the eightfold path in Buddhism, Eastern teaching. So what if we were to read these lines like sutras? If you don't know that word, the word sutra describes an Eastern religious teaching that like a, a thread can be pulled apart, unraveled into a broader and deeper <clears throat> understanding of life, excuse me. <clears throat> the Beatitudes then could be considered in this contemplative manner. In fact, 20th century mystic and spiritual teacher Emmett Fox, who some of you may have heard of, describes the Beatitudes as a spiritual key to understanding the Christian faith when taken apart from the forces acting upon it to create an instrument of power, a tool of oppression and a rationale for colonization. This week, I've been referring to a little book that I've had at the library a few times, and I keep it, and then I renew it, and then I keep it, and then I renew it. And when I've renewed it four times, they won't let me keep it anymore. I give it back. I don't know why I haven't just bought the book. It's probably like a $15 book. It's called Sit Like a Buddha, and it offers simple, helpful instructions in meditation. And in it, the author directs the meditator to what I think Jesus is saying in the Beatitudes, which is that we are already good and blessed. And while we might seek evidence of that outside ourselves all the time, the truth is it's not something we discover in the world outside us, but within our very selves in this present moment. All right, moving on. I have four points, that was one, but the longest one, so. There were a few other things I really wanted to mention about the Beatitudes, and one came up in worship planning this week as well, and it was about the kingdom. In this uh, passage, Jesus twice says of those who are blessed, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is a central theme in Matthew's gospel, not present in any of the other gospels, only Matthew's. Often, today, I hear a reframing of this word, kingdom, into the language of kingdom, removing the G, becoming kin, recognizes that we are all connected, we are all kin, and what is needed is not one bold leader using power over others, but a chorus of equals, creating a peaceful, just world in community together. In the Lord's Prayer, which we sing here together every Sunday, we say, let thy kingdom come. What is this kingdom of heaven, and where, what does it mean to let God's kingdom come? I heard another preacher answer this question in a way I really liked. She said that when we say, let thy kingdom come, it means, let my kingdom go. Let my kingdom go. In order to make room for God's kingdom, in order to experience the kingdom of heaven, 
We need to release our own attachment to the idea that we already know everything we need to know about life. By embracing the idea that we don't know, we make space for the sacred mystery underlying all of life to continue to astonish us with beauty and complexity. I'm gonna move on. Point three. I just dumped a couple of paragraphs. I hope they weren't too good. <clears throat> the mountain, another topic that came up in worship planning this week. As Jesus and the prophets of the Hebrew Bible often do, in today's lectionary text, Jesus goes up onto the mountainside and sits down before he begins to teach. Here, Matthew's storytelling gospel supports the idea that Jesus is a prophet in the way of Moses from the Hebrew Bible. In scripture, going up the mountain often allows a prophet to communicate with God, as Moses often did. The mountain is a place of wildness, of solitariness, and the source from which our living water flows. It's a place from which one can look out with reverence upon the majesty of God's created earth. Being nearer the clouds changes one's perspective, and I think Jesus and the prophets understood this. Not only do mountain highs change our viewpoint, but getting there requires significant effort. Climbing requires us to breathe deeply, bringing us into the awareness of our physical body's need for breath. And it calls us to confront those mental barriers that might suggest we should turn back choose something easier than this. In this text, Jesus' action of going up the mountain comes in response to seeing the crowds. What is it about seeing the crowds that moves Jesus to step away and go up the mountain? In this passage, we might say, going up the mountain is a way for Jesus to get away from the crowds and gain some higher, fresh perspective on the situation just as Jesus does. And I'm calling up the words of one of your team of worship planners here today. Sometimes we need to exit from the busyness of life to make space and time for deep reflection. Sometimes going into the wilderness, gaining some distance from the limits of our daily conditions is the best way for us to hear the voice of discernment within us that recognizes the needs of our sacred soul. On to my final point. In our Spiritual Nurture book study, we are currently learning more about what John Philip Newell describes as, in his book, Sacred Earth, Sacred Soul, as soul forgetfulness, which has caused us, this idea of soul forgetfulness, Newell says, has caused us to fall out of sacred relationship with the sources of our living that surround us, the living air, the living water, the living food, the living earth. All of these external conditions are required for our very lives to continue. Just this, the stable foundation provided by the earth, life-giving air, clean water to drink, are sacred gifts of nature that bless each of us 
I'm currently leading Wild Church gatherings in my school practicum, as you heard, and as we gathered last weekend, we read a poem by the 13th century mystic Meister Eckhart, who describes returning to the river and to the mountains to ask for their hand in marriage. He says, I begged to wed every object and creature, and when they accepted, God was present in my arms. In the final line of Matthew's Beatitudes passage, Jesus is quoted as saying, Rejoice and be glad, for your rewards are great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I think that this suggests Jesus recognizes his disciples are themselves prophets of the future. The prophetic voice does not speak only through the prophets of the past, but through the disciples of the present. Through the disciples of Jesus in first century Judea, through mystics like Meister Eckhart and Emmett Fox, through you and through me. If we but let our own kingdom go and have ears to hear, it is the prophetic voice within each of us that calls us to seek justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It calls us to be the best versions of ourselves in relationship with creation and with each other. On the chilly drive here this morning, I passed a church sign that read, God's answers are wiser than our prayers. So maybe it was an answer to a prayer I didn't know I had last night as I was finalizing this sermon, but my teenage daughter called me into the kitchen with a song. And we spun circles and jumped around together to pop artist Jordan Spark singing, One Step at a Time. You know, I thought after lifting myself off the chair to dance with my daughter, I don't do this often enough anymore. In the pop song, Jordan Sparks expresses polarities of thinking. You believe and you doubt. You're confused and you got it all figured out. But, she says, and I am here to remind you now, it's faith that makes us stronger. Faith is a journey, not a destination. And the only way we get there is one step at a time. So in conclusion, I invite you, as you go from this place, to ask yourselves, what lifts you outside of ordinary time into God's kingdom? The kingdom of beauty and of sacred mystery. What lifts you into a space where you might believe again in miracles, where hope will come alive in you? whether it's dancing or meditating, climbing a hill, or simply seeking to understand an another person around you rather than focusing your attention on your own story as we so often do. May you remember on your journey that you are already blessed with God's love and forgiveness. And may your blessed self light a lamp for those around you, helping to create a warmer, kinder, more just world for us all. May it be so. Amen.
Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.